If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. For us at Pact, you know, we just focus on cotton for primarily because cotton is so loved. It's the fabric of our lives, and we're going to do organic cotton. And organic cotton saves water and creates better communities for for farmers. What will it take for us to be able to shake up existing extractive corporations and either render them obsolete or get them to take responsibility for their impacts as soon as possible? And why do we need to start by pushing for more transparency within the fashion industry in order to lead to improved social and environmental practices? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and Buns, a community where people meet every day to trade things like clothing, houseplants, furniture, and art. You can check it out first by downloading the app Buns, spelled B-U-N-Z, on your smartphone, and I'll tell you more later. For now, to our conversation with Brendan Sinnott, the founder and CEO of Pact Apparel, who's leading his team to disrupt the apparel industry for the better, using organic and fair trade cotton as the foundation for addressing the labor and environmental issues that surround clothing. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. For me, I, I started my first company when I was 23 years old. And it was a granola company, all with the idea of like, I walked up and down the cereal aisle and nothing in the cereal aisle made sense to me. It was like cartoon characters and <laughs> and boxes and ingredients that you couldn't pronounce and a lot of kind of like processing of what was in it. And so for me, I was into health at that time. I had some family illnesses and that kind of sparked my interest around being, having more awareness around what goes into your body and how that makes you feel as a person, as an athlete, as whatever you're into. And so I started, you know, around that. And when I built my first business, it was really just like, oh God, I want to make cereal that I'm proud to give to my friends. That I'm proud to give to my mom, that I understand what's in it, that makes me feel good. So it was, it was always everything that I built and 
or every business that I've been a part of is because I'm truly kind of like building it for myself and the people that I love in my life because I think it's going to make their lives better. To my understanding, your granola company was very successful along with the other ones that you were a part of. Can you talk a little bit more about your key learning lessons from these that you then brought with you to Pact to help disrupt the apparel industry with? The biggest thing for me earlier on was I had a big, I don't want to say like a chip on my shoulder, but I, I was always like, you know, Kellogg's or Pepsi or these big companies are never going to make change at a, mat, at a grand level unless you go encroach on their territory mm. on a mass scale. So we could have sold our granola and just sold it in farmer's markets. But to me, it was like, how do we get granola on the shelves of Walmart so that we get healthy products to people of all incomes across the country. And if we can make it work there, then it's going to be a big enough idea that it's going to start a movement around the awareness of like, oh my gosh, if I'm making better choices in the cereal that I'm eating every morning, then maybe I should make better choices in the snacks I'm feeding my kids or the frozen pizza that I'm eating at night. And so for me, it was always like I wanted to get the idea to scale so that the large companies would notice because if they start to notice and feel in a sense scared of what's coming then that's going to that's going to force them to change otherwise they won't change and so for me it's always been about like how do you go find an industry that has no transparency no you know where brands are kind of not current with what the needs of today's consumers are and create a, a large enough movement within that space that the larger incumbent companies have to react to it so I've kind of taken that philosophy into whether it's frozen food, candy, pet food, granola, and now apparel. What has your experience been with the idea of greenwashing from these larger corporations? Because is the danger that once they see that there is a market for people wanting more ethical and more sustainable products, they may then just use that as a marketing tactic instead of actually doing the work behind the scenes? Your question hits the nail on the head of what I think one of the biggest issues is within the space is within the food industry, it got more closely regulated by the U.S. government in terms of if you wanted to call your product natural, what did that mean? If you wanted to call your product organic, what did that mean? If it wanted to be fair trade, how did you prove that? And there's a lot more policing of those claims within the food space or within the um, skincare space well, you know, that are regulated more by the USDA. In the apparel space, there's a ton of greenwashing going on. It feels no different than it did in food a while ago. It just takes a, a while for the, the industry to catch up. But today, the difference between 15 years ago and today is today everybody has access to the internet and can get the answers for themselves about what they believe is the right set of standards they want to look at to make more sustainable or ethical choices in their apparel or fashion or, or soft goods that they're purchasing. So, you know, I don't, I don't believe that the government's going to catch up and kind of save the day for us. It's about creating kind of transparency and awareness for consumers to get, get a fair set of facts and make the best choices for themselves. But it's, mm -hmm. it's 100% something that is a, a issue that I think about because, you know, for us at PACT, we've only used organic cotton ever. <laughs> it's not like we have a capsule yeah. collection that just does it. We only use fair trade factories. It's not like we have, you know, four out of a thousand SKUs that are for fair trade. You know, everything <laughs> that we make is fair trade to the core. So there's a lot of folks that take credit for kind of small advances that they're making that, that sometimes confuse consumers. But in the end of the day, 
I kind of believe that the, the overall conversation of people even having the awareness that they can buy sustainable apparel or can make more ethical choices in terms of the, what they put on their bodies, um, I think that's just a general good thing. And over time, I just I believe in consumers and data, and they're going to they're gonna find the right solution for themselves that they believe in. I was going to say you were previously in the food space. So what did you learn specifically about fashion in terms of some of its key environmental and social issues that made you want to enter into this space to help address them? So for me, your clothing is grown just like your food is, right? Let's start there. Most of what you buy, most of what you buy in your closets probably made of cotton. Cotton grows in the fields right next to soybeans right next to peanuts, right next to other crops that we go buy. So, you know, foundationally in terms of like, where does the fiber come from that you're wearing and that's in your body or that is covered in your bed or that you wipe your body down from a, with a towel after you take a bath, like all of that is cotton. All of that is grown in the foundation of what everything, you know, so much of what happened in the food space was getting the awareness to be like, okay, I don't, I don't want to just go buy generic milk. I want milk that's organic because it's not going to have pesticides in it. And I want it to be sourced in farms that treat their cows well. And the organic standards kind of helped foster that, that sort of belief in making products in a better way. You know, that, that the foundation starts with what comes out, of, what comes out of the earth. Um, and then the next step of it is, is like, how is that processed? So do we want to do we want to you know have a secret sauce and really process the heck out of ingredients and turn them into something that you can't even recognize, or do you want to use minimal processing through the process? And does minimal processing help you yield a better product? Just focusing on making better ingredients that are coming from the earth in a better way does that help you make a better garment? And so a lot of the same supply chain theories that we used within the food space to reinvent the, the food the food category to where it is today with natural and organic being so prevalent. To me, it was a very similar type of thought process around starting with the seed and then following it all the way to, you know, instead of going to the fridge, in this case, it goes all the way to your closet mm-hmm. and making sure that it was, it was made the right way. And that's kind of, that's kind of one piece of it from the supply chain standpoint. And then bringing transparency into something that, you know, traditionally people don't know how their clothes are made or who makes them or where they come from. They just know they buy them for cheap and throw them out quickly. There's not much of a sense of awareness or respect about what went into making that product. So that's kind of one piece. And the second piece is just on the consumer standpoint, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues that happen within the food system and there's a lot of different uh, angles that you could take to, to, solving it. And I think for us, you know, my experience in the food space was you got to give consumers kind of a simple idea they can understand, and that's going to allow for faster adoption and of, of the product. And so for us at Pact, you know, we just focus on cotton for primarily because cotton is so loved. It's the fabric of our lives and we're going to do organic cotton. Organic cotton saves water and creates better communities for, for farmers. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a very simple message to understand for us. And so I think really, really having a message that's easily understandable, shared, and is accessible from a price point standpoint um, is really what will accelerate adaption of a new ethos of a brand or a new a new type of brand. Um, and so those are things that we try to incorporate into 
into pack strategy, both on the supply chain side and then both on a marketing messaging side to to create awareness around what we're doing. And on that note, I feel like a common challenge in the conscious consumerism space is that by valuing human labor and nature more, it inevitably means that the price tag for consumers will be higher than what we've been spoiled by with fast fashion. So there is this persistent notion that eco-conscious and fair trade fashion is unaffordable when the reality is that we should be questioning why fast fashion is so cheap. But you've still been able to make a fair trade brand with organic fibers that also maintains, I would say, a relatively affordable price range, at least compared to other brands that sell similar organic cotton apparel. So what did it take for you guys to make this possible? And why may it be a challenge for most other brands also wanting to do better, but keep their prices affordable? Yeah, I think this gets gets around to we really we started at the seed and built back and has spent so pack's been in business for 10 years for 10 years we've been trying to figure out organic and fair trade supply chains um and that's all we think about (laughs) (laughs) and so so that that has allowed us to set up infrastructure over time that allows us to be really efficient in terms of the sourcing of that product and what you know what you talk about one of the things that we talk about is like how do we democratize organic How do we democratize sustainable fashion? It's only going to be big if we can make it be as affordable as what you pay today. And that's kind of where where we we think about. So at PACT, we try to, you know, stay like gap price points at the high end because we want to be affordable to most of America overall and, 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 and have that offering. So that price isn't a reason not to do the right thing. Like we want to take that out of the equation and be like, listen, these things are going to cost the same. You can either buy something you believe in or buy something that, that you, you don't even understand. <laughs> Make it a no-brainer. And, yeah, and, and, that's, and you, you have to do that in order to get to scale because otherwise you're making, you're making the consumers kind of pay for the better solution. Whereas like, I feel like that's our job as a brand to go figure that out in terms of the products that we offer, where we go make our product. And the other huge advantage that we have here, which is, you know, we have to talk about is the direct-to-consumer piece of the business, right? Like, I don't think that we could have been doing this if we didn't have a direct-to-consumer model because of all the efficiency that that creates in terms of eliminating unnecessary margin or markup within the product. Uh, so, you know, being able to sell directly to the consumer, understand their demands directly, plan for a business around their needs um, and be able to market to them directly allows us to take a lot of the traditional cost out of selling apparel. So that allows us to make organic and fair trade at the same price as Gap for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the – but that's been, you know, in terms of you bringing that up, that's been a, a laser focus of us as a business of making sure that we – we, we try to take prices out of the equation as much as possible. I want to talk about cotton a little more, as well as going to our labor standards for our farm workers. So cotton earned the title of dirtiest crop because it's sprayed with some of the most toxic chemicals or toxic pesticides, including Bayer's aldicarb, which was banned in the U.S. in 2010, but reapproved by the EPA in 2016, and other highly toxic chemicals banned in the EU, but not in the United States, and Monsanto's glyphosate, which has been classified by the World Health Organization as a probable human carcinogen. And on a 
related note, I just learned recently that 48 to 70 percent or more of our farm workers in the U.S. are undocumented, meaning that they don't have access to quality health care and are likely silenced when they face unethical labor standards and occupational health hazards like working with these toxic chemicals. The average lifespan of our farm workers in the U.S. is 49 years old compared to the national average of around 78. So that just blew my mind. And yet nearly 95% of our global cotton production is still GMO or conventionally grown, making organic cotton just a tiny bite of the pie. So the labor and environmental issues in the apparel industry and within cotton are crystal clear. What are your thoughts on what is holding us back from being able to enforce higher standards as the norm, maybe just in the cotton industry or fashion at large? Yeah, I, I think it's about getting transparency into the supply chain, right? Like the, the accountability only happens if there's transparency into what what is going into the product and what the standards are at the factories that are making it. And th- that to me was the stunning part of the apparel industry about why I got involved in it. And I was like, wait, this is something that we put on our bodies every day. I put on my kids. I sleep in. You know, like I, this, this is, I touch this all day, every day, and I have no idea where it comes from. Mm. And, you know, and, and I think that that's the, that's the biggest piece around getting, you know, uh, around creating accountability, which is what, again, what happened in the food space, like the food industry didn't change until somebody said, wait, what, where did those ingredients come from that went into that pizza I just ate? Right. <laughs> mm. what, what, what were the standards? And until consumers ask that question, you're not going to get it because the industries aren't going to change. And so that's why for us, you know, when, when we think about it, it's like I need to get people to I need to get people to even be thinking about that question when they're making these purchases. And if we ha- if we get consumers enough of them to go say that, to go ask those questions, it's like they change industries really quickly really quickly now, especially with, with the ability to share socially and for the ability to get perfect information through the internet. Mm. And, you know, so like that's, that, that to me is the single bit largest thing that we can do in, in terms of getting accountability and transparency into something that's truly opaque today. You talked about how the food space basically went through an evolution where there is a lot more regulation going on today. Do you think this may be more of a challenge for fashion just because people may see fashion as, you know, not something that we ingest. So the government may not feel like it's something that they need to regulate. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't really ingest oil or fuel and the government regulates its impact on the planet, Mm. right? There's, there's lots of stuff that we don't necessarily put into our bodies that impact our world and impact our communities that the government regulates. Um, I agree with you that it's going to be, it's, from what I've seen of watching this over the last 10 years, you know, there, there does not seem to be a, a government action around these sorts of products. You see some of it in California where they're more specific within just that state around certain things going or certain labeling or certain ingredients going into products. But for me, this feels like this is around the brands that are trying to do the right thing, getting together and creating as much momentum around getting consumers to ask the question, where did your clothes come from? Who made them? That will then that would then force the government to go do something. But I don't I I tend to agree with you because so much of it for us in the US is made overseas, you know, it to to go start to regulate 
the production of stuff overseas is, is challenging. That's why, you know, for us, our answer to it was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to go after organic because organics globally regulated, right? Like if you buy organic mangoes at the, at whole foods, those mangoes come from another country. So us buying organic cotton from another country, we can have that set of standards there around farm practices and in understanding the purity and the, what goes into the cotton. And the second thing we, we said as a brand internally was like, well, it's going to be tough for us to understand international regulations. So who do we partner with that has a reputation and has the experience to treat farmers fairly um, and now factory workers fa- fairly? And that was the fair trade organization, you know, so that we, we've kind of tried to solve it by a combination of utilizing what the U.S. does well around organic plus bringing on specific expertise around international sourcing with fair trade. Mm. A lot of the lack of transparency issues within fashion definitely comes from the existence of very complex global supply chains that sometimes the brands themselves can't even trace back. For example, they may not even know where their their fibers come from because it's passed through so many different players in that supply chain. So with this in mind, do you think change really has to start in the marketplace between consumers and brands that are doing better? 100%. Like to, to expect, you know, pains to go suddenly go change their supply chain strategy without understanding that there's a consumer demand for it is, I think, unreasonable. That's all of this stuff starts with consume with with brands and in uh, early adopters of consumers making new markets for stuff that wasn't there before and stuff that's made in a better way. And that's that that's why I love my job. (laughs) In the end of the day, it's like how I feel like I can personally make the biggest impact is getting consumers to go rally around causes that are going to leave this place better than when we found it. So maybe this is on an, on a related note as well. And you touched on this earlier, but I heard you say in another interview uh, when talking about getting corporations to change that you have to build something that forces an industry to change. You have to hurt them the existing corporations doing things conventionally to make them want to change. And the question we often ask is, how can we make our existing multinational corporations cease to exist along with all of their exploitative and extractive practices? Or otherwise, how can we get them to take accountability and responsibility for their own actions? So with you having the experience and approach of wanting to disrupt industries for the better with that macro lens, can you share your thoughts on how we can shake up our big corporations to do better as soon as possible? I, I think if I had so if I had my magic wand, it would be around governance of the corporations. So knowing myself how companies are run and how they're built, the, the governance around the board of directors and the responsibilities of the boards of directors of these businesses and getting more diversity on them getting more folks that are representative of, of the, um, their employees' rights, having a sustainability officer as well as those board, and getting those sorts of disciplines and diversity at the highest level of governance of those organizations to me feels like what you know if I could do one thing tomorrow with a magic wand and go change out 20% of the, the public company's boards and add those sorts of people to it, that to me would be a, a massive foundational thing to go do. Mm. Uh, because once you do that, then the CEO has people on their board 
that are willing to invest in those sorts of initiatives, despite the fact that it might have near-term costs associated with it. So basically, most of these destructive decisions come from the very top of these corporations. They don't come from people that work there necessarily, but most of these decisions are made at the very top. So that's what we should target. It's kind of my own set of experiences and what I know, you know, and I don't, I don't have, the, I don't have the right answer. But, it, but just knowing how these big companies work, if the public boards or boards had more women, more diversity, if they had a sustainability officer, I, I think that they that would create the air cover for CEOs to invest in the business differently than they invest today, where it's a lot of times around did we make our quarterly goal and how's our stock price on Wall Street. Mm. And do you think there's a way that we can influence that as consumers? Yeah, I mean, that's I, I haven't figured out what the campaign is to go do that. <laughs> there's a couple places in Europe and, and that I recently heard about in terms of, uh, I forget which country it is, but now they're starting to make sure that if there's a certain amount of workers within the organization, that those workers have board seats within their company. So I think there's there's a certain, there's a certain like, kind of lobbying that we could do from a government standpoint but I, I i honestly i it's a good question to ask and it kind of yeah. <laughs> sparks it sparks it for me is to be like well, well what should we go do about that then yeah um but i, I don't i don't have the, the answer around what the campaign looks like to go accomplish it but now i'm going to start thinking about it i think i heard about how bernie sanders started showing up to a bunch of board meetings of these huge corporations to talk about raising their minimum wages and to some extent i I think he was successful in some of those instances, but he's of course Bernie Sanders, so he has a lot yeah. of influence. It's one of, I, I think I think about for me, and I'm 41 years old. Um, I think about kind of like my next chapter in life, and I have kids now, and so you start to think about your impact and how that changes uh, over time. And it's one of the things I've been noodling on lately is that idea around like, is there a, a public board to go be a part of? So you know me going to go just try that and see what that feels like and understand really what happens and within those structures um, would probably be my best first step. So it's uh, yeah. good motivation for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> we'll be following along your journey yeah. and supporting you in that for sure. <laughs> so we're at a time when the majority of our clothes by volume are pretty much not made responsibly because of the sheer scale that fast fashion brands operate at. And this means that we do need to be able to scale up our fair trade and eco-conscious production to be able to render those destructive practices obsolete, to be able to hurt them. But how do you think we can balance this need to scale responsible production with knowing that in the end, we still have finite and limited natural resources where the rate of production in addition to the how is also just as important? Oh, great question recycle your clothes. So the average American throws out 80 pounds of textiles a year, 80, 80 (laughs) pounds of textiles. Do we know how many pieces of clothing that equates with, or I guess it depends. uh, Yeah. I'm trying to picture what that looks like. I mean, 80, I got it. Like an average garment is, is probably, you know, eight ounces, a half a pound, right? So that's probably a hundred, you know, rough numbers, 160 garments wow. you throw out, you throw out in a year and that, you know, might, might be heavier if you throw out sheets or something like that. But you know, that there's, there's a huge amount of waste that that's coming off on the back end of fast fashion that everybody today could do something about. 
we, it's one of the things that we, we, it's one of our pillars at Pact. So we, um, as part of every shipment that goes out, we have the ability, you can pack up any products that you don't like or that you want to donate. And we give, we send you a return postage and we'll help you donate it to a local cause, um, or local facilities to say that, you know, yes, we're selling you something new, but gosh, let's make sure that we do something with the stuff that you don't need anymore. Mm. <laughs> um, because like somebody else probably needs it. So, you know, I think that there's, there's a number of things I get really excited around, around apparel recycling to kind of cut off some of that waste. Um, and, and then also I love the, the second hand or the kind of the shared ownership model of apparel that's starting to pop up more and more. Where folks, you know, yes, I I only need that dress for a month or whatever it is, and somebody else can wear it the other months, and we share the cost of it, and we we share we we divide the impact of it amongst us. So I think th- those are things that today I think within the apparel space that are are 100% within the consumer's power today to do something about that would have a huge impact on what goes into our landfills, and then also just getting product to people that need it. The other thing I wanted to ask you or talk about is at a more societal level with our increasing wealth gap, it's quite obvious that it's really become people versus money in a lot of instances, in policy, definitely, and also in our economy and the market. And something that I feel like is keeping us stuck with a broken system built on and still invested in the same oppression, inequality, and extraction behind the scenes is how people with the money to inv- to invest choose what they invest in. So as someone who's worked in the space of building startups, working with investors, and being one yourself, what do you think we need to be able to redirect our investment trends to not just value the immediate profit, but also long-term gains that include societal and environmental welfare? Yeah, I, you know, everything that I've done, everything that I invest in, it's, it's because it's been, I believe this, this is a better way. This is a better, a better solution for the consumer. It's a better solution for people. It's a better solution for the planet. Um, and it's all been kind of consumer products for me where I've, I've invested in stuff that people make everyday choices. And then with that everyday choice, they can make a kind of a, a, a big impact. How do we get other, other investors to think like you? And it's so funny because like I've, I've had great success and I'm so grateful for it. And there's been great monetary success from what I've worked on, but I don't even think about that. (laughs) It's like, I think about the teams that did it with me, right. That people all made the sacrifice and made all these hard decisions to go make all this stuff happen. And then I think about the thousands and tens of thousands of consumers that, you know, made the choice to go buy the product from us Mm. and go buy, buy into our vision you know, and like, that's, that's, re- that's, those are the two things that I, I think about. I never think about like, oh, what return on investment could I get on this in dollar? And if I put this dollar someplace else, could I get a better return? Like for me, it's always, you know, every, every place I put my, my money and my time has been about a belief of like, I believe this is better and God, I'm proud to go work on it. This, this gets back to like your question around like the governance of the big companies but, you know, part of me just wants to raise taxes on large corporations and then funnel that money into more investment around initiatives that's investing into society, into people, into our environment um, that doesn't have the same returns expectations that maybe the broader markets have. And that's this idea of conscious capitalism and social capitalism has been, you know, it's pioneered by John Mackey over at Whole Foods. And it's been something that has, I think, you know, people are becoming awake to, but it's, there's, 
I haven't seen a tremendous amount of models within the venture capital or the private equity space that truly put this ahead of kind of profits yeah. of their gener- general LPs, the people that I really see making a difference are the folks that have you know, their, their own money and are now committing their money and time to doing what they think is right. And there's, there doesn't seem to me as many institutional or commercial models to, that have that, that same intention. To close off here, can you share your vision of a truly sustainable and thriving planet and what you think we as individuals can take action on to support that? I go to kind of like what's really simple or one simple takeaway. And I love electric bikes. Um, I think electric bikes as a mode of transportation and eliminating kind of uh, a lot of the driving and having pl- having our cities and urban centers be places where you could commute by bike, be a lot more practical and accessible would just be so good in terms of the carbon footprint of of what that provides us. And then on top of that, just the, the health benefits around being outside and, and exercising. Uh, so, you know, that's if, if I, again, if I kind of had my magic wand, if I could do one thing that I thought would be really impactful to both, both the planet and the people that are on it is, is how do we get ourselves out of the cars to go everywhere and mm-hmm. put ourselves on something that has a little more benefit. Have you downloaded the Buns app yet that I've been telling you about? Besides the fact that we can meet like-minded people near us and trade things like clothing, art, furniture, or plants through the app, we can also earn its currency called bits. So if someone wants an item that you've posted but you don't want anything they have so you can't trade, you can also accept bits coins instead. There are also daily short surveys that you can take from within the app that will also allow you to earn bits. With this currency, you can then go on to purchase things that you want from other people or you can spend it at an increasing number of real-life local partnering businesses. So the more people we have on this free app, the more powerful we'll be in establishing communities of trade and also in getting more local businesses to accept our bids coins. To check it out and join the fun, just search for Buns in the App Store and hit download. And here's a pro tip. Share Buns with your friends through the app and for every friend that signs up, they'll earn 100 bits and you'll also earn 100 bits as well. See you there soon and for now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow? Uh, I love my local Colorado public news where I get to hear stories. You know, so much news is dominated by by national sources, but just to hear real stories from people in your community doing uh, interesting stuff is for me really inspirational. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> I, 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 I'm proud. I'm proud, and I'm proud of what I'm working on. I'm grateful for all the opportunities that I have, and that it's it's make the most of what you got. Mm. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? I I'm working on my mobility. Um, I'm trying to make sure that my joints stay limber. Um, I have four little kids, and so I'm I'm always like bending down, squatting, and I'm <laughs> feeling feeling the the mobility go a little bit. And I want to be able to play with them for as long as possible. So, I'm making sure my joints all work. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? Uh, I it's kind of I kind of mentioned this earlier. I try to I try to bike. Um, at least two thirds of my days to work, so that I that I get the the benefit of the exercise as well as um, the fun time on the bike with my kids, and not necessarily driving the car around and kind of adding to that noise. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? 
uh, conversations like this, like the, the at, when I look at like when I started in food 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like it was hard to find enough people that wanted to go have that conversation and be able to connect with them. And today I look at like sustainable apparel or eco-conscious apparel, you know, whatever, however, however you want to label it. And there's a massive community of people that are all talking about it and connected and have the ability to um, create awareness around it in a way that was not possible 10 or 15 years ago. And that's gives the power to the consumers, which I love. Mm. Well, we would, of course, love to keep learning from you, following your journey and supporting PACT. So where can we find your work online? Our website is where, W-E-A-R, PACT, P-A-C-T, uh, com, And that's where you can find all kinds of super comfy clothing for your whole family and your home. Awesome. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Make sure we, instead of just dreaming, that we do something every day, even if it's a small step. Like, like we think about the big picture, but to me, it's all about momentum. And so how do we do a little bit more each day so that the flywheel spins a little bigger and a little faster? And that's what, that's what, that's what creates change. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for being here and for tuning in. Again, to access my weekly takeaways and suggested action steps deduced from each episode, you can join me on Patreon at greendreamer.com support. Green Dreamer is an independent multimedia platform, and I'd really like to keep it this way. So I just wanted to thank you sincerely to our patrons. Every little bit of your support helps, and I do really appreciate it. And thank you as well if you've gotten to share Green Dreamer with friends or write a review of what you're enjoying in the podcast app. Finally, as we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.